0: Thank you, Marsha and uh, Aaron, for that beautiful rendition of that special song. Or actually, it's a medley of songs. Well, greetings to you in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it good to be in God's house with God's people, worshiping on his holy day? Oh, it is such a blessing. This is a high Sabbath. It really is. Well, the longest... The best known, the most loved parable of Jesus is the one about the prodigal son. The traditional title, paintings, and illustrations of this parable usually stop at verse 24, which reads, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found So they began to celebrate. They began to have a party, a great celebration. For the majority of people, this deeply moving scene of reconciliation between father and son constitutes the climax of the story. And we would all agree, I believe, with that. However, there is more to this parable than meets the eye. And so this morning I would like For us to focus our attention on the part of that parable that continues after verse 24, and it deals primarily with the older brother. So before we get into the prodigal son, I want to set the settings. Let's get the historical content of these stories that Jesus told. So I invite you to take your Bible and meet me at the gospel of Luke, the third gospel of the New Testament, the gospel of Luke, and in the Pew Bible, it's page 105. 905, rather. 905 in the Pew Bible. The gospel of Luke, chapter 15, looking at verses 1 and 2. Luke writes, Now, the tax collectors, these were Jews. These were Jews who worked for the Roman government. They collected taxes from the people. They were also called publicans, and they were hated by the Jews because they worked for the Roman government. And not only that, but uh, in leveling taxes, they asked for a little more, and the little more they put into their pockets. And so they were hated by the Jews. And so Dr. Luke writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him, that is Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, says the King James. That means complained. They found fault. This man welcomes sinners, they said, and eats with them. Much to the disgust of the religious leaders, Jesus associated with those who they thought were hopeless, the scum of society, the outcast, if you please, of society. You see, they could not understand why Jesus would mingle with such riffraff, such notorious sinners, such irreligious people. To welcome them and to eat with them was unthinkable to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They failed to comprehend that Jesus' mission was to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. They missed that about Jesus. And so to emphasize his mission on earth, Jesus told three parables, three stories with a spiritual application. The first one is found in verses 4 through 7. And because of time, I'm just going to quickly rush over the first two. It says that a shepherd had sheep, and one of them strayed away. I'm told that sheep have very poor eyesight. They don't see very far in front of them. And so very often as they nibble to eat, they nibble here, nibble there, and before you know it, they're far from the flock, and uh, they are lost. They are lost. Now the sheep knows that it's lost. It's left the shepherd and the fold. It cannot recover itself. Its only salvation is in the shepherd, who leaves the ninety and nine in the fold and then goes out in search for this one lost sheep. Jesus compared the tax collectors and the immoral people to sheep that are lost. And the climax of this first parable, this first story, is not only the return of the sheep, but the triumphant celebration, if you please, the rejoicing at its rescue. This shepherd, when he finds the sheep, doesn't scold it, doesn't get after it, but it picks it up very tenderly. And lays it across the back of his neck and his shoulders and brings it home. And when he reaches home, he calls his friends and his neighbors to rejoice with him because the lost sheep has been found. Indeed. Indeed. And there is joy in heaven when the lost has been found. Now the second story, the second parable is found in verses 8 through 10. A woman had ten silver coins, perhaps part of her dowry. Perhaps this dowry that she wanted to give to her daughter when she married. Well, she had ten silver coins, but she lost one. And it was lost in the house. This lost coin represents those who are lost in their sins and do not have the sense of their lost condition. They're lost and don't know that they're lost. That is the story of the lost coin. And we're told that the lady lit a lamp, took a broom, and she swept every nook and cranny looking for that valuable silver coin. And then she found it. She found it. And the extent of her joy is striking. Notice verse 9. And when she found it, she called her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which was lost. And then Jesus says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now we come to the third, the story of the prodigal son, beginning with verse 11. The Bible says that a man had two sons, and the younger son came to his father and said, Give me the goods that belong to me. In other words, my portion of the inheritance. You see, the firstborn was to receive two-thirds of the family inheritance. So this younger son received only a third of his goods. You see, in the home there were guidelines We would call them rules and regulations that parents have for their sons and daughters. And this younger son was tired of the rules and regulations. He he, he felt that his freedom was limited. If he could just get away from home, spread his wings and live it up, what a life he would experience. You will notice in the story that the father does not argue with his son. He doesn't try to talk the son out of leaving home. You see, the father, as you know, represents God. And God gives us the freedom of choice, the freedom to do what we want to do in spite of the consequences that might happen. God is a God of love. This father was a a father of love. And so the Bible tells us that after a couple of days he packed his belongings and, uh, and he made his way down that long road to the far country. I say to you this morning that when you're not in Jesus Christ, you're living in the far country. He went to a far country and there he spent all his inheritance the Bible says, on riotous living. Living it up to the hilt. And as long as he had money, he had friends. Oh, the friends stuck to him like bees with pollen. But when his money ran out, they left him like cockroaches when you turn on the light. They abandoned him leaving him all by himself. And if that wasn't bad enough, we're told that a great famine happened in the land. And he was without money. He was without friends. And he was hungry. And so he takes on a job working for a foreigner, taking care of the swine, feeding the swine, something unthinkable to a Jew. And he was feeding the swine. He was feeding him, the Bible says, pods. These pods are seeds from the carob tree common around the Mediterranean area. These were used uh, for food for cattle and for pigs. Pods and their seeds were at even sometimes eaten by the very poor people. And he was so hungry, and the Bible says that nobody offered him anything. And he was starving. And then the Bible says that he thought about his condition, his situation, and he came to his senses, the Bible says. He came to his senses. He thought about his his condition. And I ask you, what did he think about, besides his present condition? I think his thoughts were about home. You know, there's something special about home. That word is so special to us all, home. I want you to think in your imagination back when you were just a boy or a girl, and you were home with your mom and dad. You remember the good times? You remember gathered around the table for meals? You remember all the fun we had together as family? Home, it's so special. And those of you who have gone away to college and lived in dormitories, you know what I mean when you think about home. And those of you that have served as missionaries overseas in foreign countries, you know when we hear the word home, how it pulls on your heartstrings. And those of us who served in the United States military away from home know what that word means, especially at Thanksgiving or Christmas. I remember Uncle Sam did his best to provide oh, wonderful meals during Thanksgiving and Christmas. They did their best in our behalf, but it wasn't quite like home. Home is so special in our hearts. I believe that's what he thought about. Not only his present condition, starving half to death, clothes tattered and ragged and muddy. I believe that's part of it. But he thought about home. I believe it was not only the badness of his life that brought this boy to his senses, but the goodness of his father. I think he thought about dad. How loving dad was and how kind and forgiving and accepting. He had a wonderful dad. And he thought about dad. It wasn't just the badness of his situation, but the goodness of his father. And he says to himself, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to tell my dad, listen, I've I've sinned against you and against heaven. And I'm no... Longer worthy to be called your son. Just take me on as a hired hand. By the way, he was right when he said, I've sinned against heaven and against you. You see, all sin, first and foremost, is against God. And then it's against people. So he leaves the field where he's been feeding the swine and begins his, his journey home. His dad, every day, went out that road, looking down the road to see if his son was coming home. He did that every day, every day. Went out there to see if his son was coming home. But no, he wasn't coming home. Ah, but this day he walked out there, and he saw someone in the distance, but he looked so different. And let me, in my pastor's imagination, share with you what I think he looked like. There was someone coming down the road with long hair and matted, dirty-looking, skinny, starving half to death. His clothing tattered and torn and, and dirty and caked with mud from feeding the pigs. And he was barefoot. He was coming home barefoot, not like he left. He left with sandals. Beautiful clothes. But he was coming home barefoot. And I imagine that father's heart began to palpitate a little faster as he, as he saw that person. And the Bible says that he recognized him. In spite of all that I described to you, he recognized him. And I ask you, how did he recognize his son? He recognized him by his walk. In physical therapy, we call it the gate. He recognized his son by his walk. There was no mistaking, no matter the rags that were torn and tattered and muddy, no matter the long hair that was matted and he was filthy, he recognized his son. He recognized his son. The Bible says he ran out. To meet him. Did you know that the language of love. Is always physical. Did you know that. If the father in this parable. Is God. The Bible. Indicates. That he ran. He must have pulled up his robe. You know they had robes. He must have pulled up his robes. And ran as fast as those sandals. Could take him. To embrace his son, and to fall on his neck for a long time. And he kissed him over and over again. Now, if Jesus had taught of a father who demanded repentance before acceptance, the religious leaders would have applauded the story. You see, repentance, they believed, preceded God's forgiveness and involved a period of probation and separation to prove its genuineness. But in the book Christ Object Lessons, page 189, the pen of inspiration tells us, It was taught by the Jews that before God's love is extended to the sinner, he must first repent. In their view, repentance is a work by which men earn the favor of heaven. And it was this thought that led the Pharisees to exclaim in astonishment and anger, This man receives sinners and eats with them. According to their ideas, he should permit none to approach him but those who had repented. Now notice this sentence. We do not repent in order that God may love us. But he reveals to us his love in order that we may repent. Isn't that precious? He reveals his love to us. Well, there's another lost son in this story, in this parable. It's the older brother. And like the Pharisees, the older brother could not understand the meaning of forgiveness. Notice what verse 25 has to say. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound the other brother became angry and refused to go in he became angry the Bible says and he refused to go in and I ask you why why was this older brother angry and refused to go in let me give you three reasons number one Self aggrandizement. Self aggrandizement. Indeed. Notice his attitude when he comes near the house and he hears music and dancing and celebration. It's a party. And he asks the servants, and let me paraphrase in my own language if I may. What's going on here? A party? Who, who ordered this party? I didn't know anything about a party. Nobody asked me about this. Why wasn't I consulted? Self-importance, self-aggrandizement. The second reason, self-pity. Verse 29. So his father left the celebration, left the party, came outside. And it says, so the father went out and pleaded with him. Notice he didn't scold him. He pleaded with him to come in. And notice the son's response, and I'm going to paraphrase in my own words. Look, all these years, Dad, I've been slaving for you. He was obedient, all right, not from a sense of love, but of duty. He counted the years of toil for his father. All these years, I've, I've worked for you, I've, I've slaved for you. And he refers to himself not as a son, but, but as a slave i never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You never gave me a party or killed the fatted calf. The older brother is wallowing in self-pity. And thirdly, in verse 30, self-righteousness. Listen to his words. But when this son of yours He refers to his younger brother as this son of yours. He won't even call him a brother. And he goes on, who squandered your property on prostitutes. How did he know that his brother had wasted his inheritance on prostitutes? He hadn't even seen his younger brother, much less talked to him. It was for sure that he never went out looking for his younger brother to encourage him and to plead with him to come home. He says, I never did anything like that. I've always stayed by you. It wasn't the generosity of his father that upset him, but that a waster, a no good, a prodigal should be the recipient of such lavish gifts. And I ask you, what lavish gifts? Ah, oh, you remember when the son returned home? Before he hardly got the words out, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven and I'm no longer worthy to be. Your son, just take me on as a hired hand. Before he finished his little spiel, his canvas, as we would say, Jane. the father said to a servant, Bring the robe, Not just any robe, he said, bring the best robe. You see, his father didn't want him to be seen by the other servants and the members of the family with his rags, tattered and torn and dirty and, and muddy. He wanted to cover his son immediately with the best robe. Bring the best robe. And he added, and the ring. Bring the ring. The ring was a sign of authority so that everyone could see that he was reinstated into the family with all its rights and privileges. And he adds, and bring the sandals. You see, sandals were a free man's luxury. Remember I told you he came home barefoot? But Father says, bring the sandals. Slaves and the very poor went barefoot. Not the members of the house, of the family. They wore sandals. So he calls for the sandals. And he told them to kill the fatted calf. And they began to have a party, a celebration with music and with dancing. In the attitudes of the older brother is expressed the feelings of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were listening to Jesus They were guilty of a critical and unloving spirit, pride, and an unwillingness to forgive. The fact that Jesus taught that divine mercy is spontaneous, free, and lavish offended them. His attitude in accepting sinners before a reformation on their part and without a probationary period they found objectionable. And so this older Brother became angry, and he refused to go in. Why? Because he was jealous. He had self-importance, self-pity, and self-righteousness. Like the scribes and the Pharisees, he stayed outside the celebration, outside the joy and the fellowship of those who had been forgiven. And notice the response of the father in verse 31. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. In essence, the father was saying to his older son, there's no threat to your portion, your share of the estate and all that I own. Everything is yours, not as wages, but as a gift. Now notice verse 32, if you will, very important. It was right that we should... Make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is found again and was lost and found. You will notice that there is no ending. There is no ending to this story, no ending to this parable. We don't know if the older brother went in to the celebration, to the party. It was left open, beloved, because it was yet to be lived. It was yet to be lived. And the invitation to enter and to join the celebration is still extended to you and to me. Tony Campolo is the chairman of the sociology department at Eastern College in Pennsylvania. He's also a Baptist minister. And in his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party, he tells an incident that took place in Hawaii during one of his speaking engagements there. As you know, there are a number of hours between Pennsylvania and Hawaii, six to be exact, six hours difference. So Tony woke up and it was 3 o'clock in the morning in Hawaii. But to Tony Campala, it was 9 o'clock in the morning and he was hungry. So he uh, drove around town to find a place where he could get a bite to eat. And all that he could find was just a small uh, little cafe, kind of, a, kind of a greasy spoon. But that, that's all he could find. So he, he, he went into the counter and sat on the stool. And a man, undoubtedly the owner, with an apron tied around his waist, Came over and said, What do you have? So Tony ordered uh, a donut and a cup of coffee. And after a little while, there came in eight ladies, eight prostitutes, laughing, having a good time into that little cafe. Four sat on one side of Tony and four on the other side. And they were carrying on and laughing. After a while, one of them who he came to know had the name Agnes said, You know, tomorrow's my birthday. I'll be 39 and I've never had a birthday party. I miss not having a a birthday cake. And one of the girls began to make fun of her, saying, You're too old for that, Agnes. Agnes said, Well, don't give me a bad time. I I just thought how nice it would be to have a, a birthday party. And after a few minutes, those eight ladies, those eight prostitutes, left the cafe. And Tony said to the owner, Do these girls come in every morning at this hour? They sure do, he said. Well, Tony said, What do you think if we give Agnes a birthday party tomorrow morning? I'll get all the decorations and things, and I'll even get the cake. And the man said, Oh, no, no, I'll get the the birthday cake. Well, the next day, at 2.30 in the morning, Tony Campolo arrived at the cafe and began to decorate the place with crepe paper and cardboard letters that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And Harry brought in the cake. Somehow the word must have gotten around because a lot of other friends, other prostitutes, came into that small cafe. At three o'clock in the morning, sure enough, in came Agnes and her friends, her fellow prostitutes. Everyone shouted, happy birthday, Agnes. Agnes was in shock. She couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe that this was happening to her. And then Harry came in with the cake. All lit up and he said, okay, Agnes, blow out the candles, come on, blow them out. Agnes just stared at the cake. Then she said to Harry, the owner of the cafe, do you mind if I just hold the cake just for a a little while? And then she turned to Tony Campalo and she said, could I take this cake to my room just down the street, just, just for a little while? And then I'll bring it back. I promise. Tony said, Sure. Sure. When Agnes left with her cake that morning at 3 o'clock, there was stone silence in the cafe. And Tony said, Let's bow our heads and pray. Tony prayed for Agnes that she might give her life to Jesus and live for him. When he finished praying, Harry said, I didn't know that you were a preacher. What church do you belong to? And Tony said, I belong to a church that gives a birthday party for prostitutes at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Harry said, Oh no, he said. There's no church like that. But if there were a church like that, I'd attend that church. It wasn't the father's generosity that upset the older brother who represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, but that a waster, a prodigal, A prostitute, a no good, an outcast from society, would be the recipient of such lavish gifts. And I ask you, what lavish gifts? Well, let me tell you. The moment you take one step toward Jesus, he runs to embrace you and to cover you with his robe of righteousness. And when you stand before God Almighty, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus in your life. And you stand before God Almighty as if you had never, never sinned. And then the ring, the ring is symbolic of the fact that when you come to Jesus, when you take that first step and He runs to embrace you and to kiss you and He gives you symbolically this this ring, it denotes that you are now a son, a daughter of God. You're adopted into the family of God with all its rights and privileges. Can you imagine if it wasn't enough just to give us the robe of righteousness but He gives us sonship daughtership into the family of God and what belongs to Jesus belongs to you and to me when we're in Christ because we're heirs co-heirs with Christ and then the sandals the sandals denote a free person ah beloved not only does God give us his robe of righteousness and adopt us into the family with all its rights and privileges But he frees us from the burden of sin. How many people lug around on their shoulders this burden of sins, things that they've done in the past that they're ashamed of. And they lug it around day after day, year after year. Jesus sets you free from the burden and the power of sin in your life. That's what Jesus wants to do for you and for me today God's grace is spontaneous God's grace is free God's grace is lavish to everyone who accepts for Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost as we come to the final hymn that we'll sing together hymn number 313 I'd like to extend a call this morning, if there's someone here today who has felt God speaking to your heart, perhaps pulling on your heartstrings, and you have felt impressed that it's time to, to come home, to come home to Jesus. I invite you to come forward this morning as we sing hymn number 313. The words are there, the music is on the next page. you'll You'll recognize the music as the organ plays it. I'm going to invite you to come, to commit your life to Jesus Christ. If you feel that in your heart today, if God has been speaking to you, won't you come today? Come home and let Jesus wrap you with His robe of righteousness, adopt you into His family, and free you from your burden and the power of sin in your life. You come down. I'll meet you on the main floor and we'll have a prayer together. And if there's someone here who's never been baptized and they feel impressed that they need to prepare for baptism, you come forward as well, won't you? Thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come. I come. If you feel that the Lord is speaking to your heart today, don't delay. Don't let the devil talk to you into thinking, you know. You've come before. You've given your life to Jesus before. Look at the mess. You've failed him so many times. Don't let him talk to you, not coming to the forward and giving your life to Jesus again. You come if God is calling you today. If you want to renew your covenant relation with Jesus, you come today as we sing the fifth stanza of Just As I Am. Yeah. This is the last appeal. This is the last appeal this morning, beloved. If God has been speaking to your heart, has He been drawing you to His heart, you come this morning. You make that decision to give your life to Jesus. Let there be rejoicing in heaven over one individual who repents and comes to Him. Please, last stanza of Just As I Am. there's someone who came forward this morning who would like to be baptized at a future date. They want to have some studies first, of course. Kind of raise your hand so Maria can see it, so she can see who you are and talk to you and get your address. You got a Maria there? All right. let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, these are your sons and daughters that have come forward today sensing a desire for a closer walk with you. You have spoken to their hearts. You have drawn their hearts to yours, Lord. I pray that you'll wrap your loving arms around them and embrace them, welcome them into the family of God. And I just pray that you will seal these decisions for eternity. That angels will surround them, protecting them, As they go throughout each day, may they live for you, Lord. And may their lives be a witness to your amazing grace in their lives. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive them and us and all of us here our sins and shortcomings. We are thankful for the blood of Jesus that washes all our sins away. It was Jesus who said, he or she who comes to me... I will in no wise cast out. Enable these dear ones, Lord, to keep you first and foremost in their lives. May they consecrate their lives to you each day, at the beginning of each day. And may their lives testify of that amazing grace. And now, Lord, dismiss us with your blessing, but never from your presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.